trees and, and probably a lot of snow like we did when we lived in Indiana. For a lot of people, that looks like Christmas. For some people, this looks like Christmas. They'll see a tree and, and presents, and, and they're going, oh, yeah, that, that makes me think of Christmas. Maybe for some other folks, maybe this looks like Christmas. All the guys are looking at the table, you know. <laughs> All the ladies are going, oh, they got their family together. Maybe that's what Christmas looks like for some people. They're thinking about what they're going to eat, and they're thinking about uh, family coming together and Sometimes we just have these varied ideas, but here's the song. So this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another year over, and a new one just begun. And so this is Christmas, for rich and for poor, for weak and for strong. The world is so wrong. So this is Christmas. What have you done? I'm really not worried about what, you know, the world has done to commercialize Christmas. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not hung up about what they do. What I am concerned about is the attitude that Christ followers have toward Christmas. And so as I was thinking through that, God led me to one verse. One verse. This is this, my very first Christmas message as a pastor, and this is the one verse. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. And I thank you that for all of the visuals and all of the things that we see and that we contemplate that maybe up until this moment sometimes mean Christmas to us, maybe even more than Jesus. God, I pray that you are going to let us see something out of this proclamation that angels flooded the skies to make on the night that Jesus was born. And we sometimes we sing these things and we say these things, but God, I, I think there was, as you have put in my heart this week, there was just depth that is in this that you want us to get. It's why you sent angels to proclaim this. They were proclaiming that this is what has come because of this event that has taken place of Jesus Christ being born into this earth. This was the beginning. This is what's going to happen. And so, God, we don't just think, oh, the angels did some worship and they were, but we're going to really understand and see today. And so, God, I pray that you will focus our hearts into this Christmas season so that we understand. So this is Christmas with the depth that you want us to grasp. God, I pray that you anoint your word. Please let me communicate what you've put in my heart with clarity and, and keep out of the way so that your word will do the work. And I just give you all the praise and all the glory. And we pray and believe these things in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ. The church together said, Amen. Amen. So we're going to break this proclamation down into three parts. They said glory to God, they proclaimed peace, and they proclaimed that there would be good will that would happen. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to examine the glory of God. When, when they said glory to God in the highest, what did that 
really mean. So, so we've got to see God's glory in Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 20. Moses, who was speaking to God, he was so close to God and he was desiring to understand more. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And he, being God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Exodus chapter 40 Moses is still dealing with this. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I just want to pause for just a moment. When these angels entered that sky and, and filled the sky and they proclaimed, Glory to God in the highest. The Old Testament had already seen where we had seen here. Moses had already at one point he, he looks at God and he says, he speaks to God and he says, I want to see your glory. I want you to show it to me. And, and God said, I, I know you do, but you can't handle it. Because the glory, if you saw my glory, if you truly saw it, if, if, if in full effect it hits you, you die. My glory, not because even of the idea of, of that you are, uh, you're sinful, and God, but because it is so overpowering. That His glory is so powerful, it is so beyond even our ability to comprehend this, that if it hits you with full force, you would not be able to stay alive. You, your body couldn't sustain this. Moses then, just a few chapters later there in Exodus, in their timeline, he is coming up to their, where they met with God. And the presence and the glory of God had settled so strongly onto the place where, if you remember, in their time, the presence of God would reside in the temple, a physical location, a building. And the presence of God and the glory of God descended on that so powerfully that Moses couldn't even get in the door. He couldn't even go up and go into the temple of God where the ministry was taking place, where the worship would take place, where all these things would happen because the presence and the glory of God was so powerful. We could flash forward and we could think through for a moment that now the Bible says that we have become the temple of God. That we have become the habitation, the place where He resides. And so if the presence and the glory of God could descend on that temple, that physical temple, a place made with hands, and it be that strong, then what can be the effect when we get so much into God's presence, when we get along with Him and we surrender our hearts and we, God, I just want to be in Your presence. And His presence descends on the temple. Numbers chapter 14, verses 21 through 23 said, But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled 
with the glory of the Lord. None of these men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers and none of those who despise me shall see it. One of the things I saw about God's glory in reading this, remember this is when they, when they kept questioning, no, God, God can't get us into the land of Canaan. It, we're like grasshoppers and all this stuff. We, this can't happen. And, and God says, look, all of you, you've seen my glory. You've seen the things that I've done. You've seen the wonders that I've accomplished. You've seen the signs. He says, you've seen all of that, and yet you still test me and say that I cannot do what I promised you generations before that I would do in your lives and in your families and in your children and for your generations to come. Yet even though you have seen my glory, because remember, they had seen. They saw from a distance as Moses couldn't enter into the temple because of the presence and the glory of God. He said, you've seen my glory. You've seen the signs that I've done. You saw what I did in Egypt. We could go through the whole story, the plagues that, that God brought about in Egypt in order to set his people free. I will never again think about the story of Egypt. We saw those guys. I mentioned it last week. Those guys in that prison. They're in Uganda singing, Go tell Pharaoh. Egypt, go tell Pharaoh that my people have been set free. And I will not go back, but I will only go forward. He says, None of you that saw my glory and my signs and what I did in Egypt. So we have a responsibility and an accountability. That if we, as we have tasted of the glory of God, as we have seen Him move, if we have seen Him accomplish things in our lives, then we have an accountability and a responsibility to trust and believe that He is in His character what we have seen manifested in His actions. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 28-30, there's a command, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Then we come over into Matthew chapter 5. Huh. So we've seen His glory described. We've seen us told that we should give glory to Him. But now, He says, You are the light of the world. You. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. These angels filled the sky and proclaimed glory. You might as well put the words, let there be in front of that. Let there be glory to God in the highest. But Matthew 5 says that we are light to the world that is around us. Remember, a world that is in darkness because He has taken you and He's translated you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so you have become the light of the world. And He says, you are to do that for a reason. 
so that they will see your good works and as a result they will give glory to our fathers in heaven. See, the angels proclaimed, He has glory. God has glory. It's not that we have to give it to Him, but we can point other people into giving Him glory. Amen. By the way that we live our lives, by the way that we're coming up on Christmas and glory to God in the highest, so this is Christmas and what have you done? Has our light shone so that men would see our good works and would glorify our Father in heaven? As we go through these next couple of weeks, just thinking momentarily about Christmas, how you act, how you comport yourself, how you conduct yourself, is it such a way that it's going to shine with the bright light of Jesus Christ and it's going to point people through your good works to give glory to God? I was reading this very familiar verse that we often read and I just for some reason I really started thinking through. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. I, I, I just want to read this again to you. We always read 23 and stop there. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now this is where I ended up stopping and thinking, I went, wait a minute. There's no way that I could ever match the glory of God. So why is it that big a surprise that, that we fall short of the glory of God? Just keep that thought in your head for a moment. He says, but we fall short, but we are justified by His grace as a... What's the next word? One more time, really. Yes. A gift. We're all probably at some level going to give some kind of gift to somebody this year, maybe. Maybe. But we have been justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He says, Who is Christ? Christ is the one that God put forward in order to pay the penalty by His blood. And He is to be received by faith. Why? This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins because of Jesus Christ. So as I thought about, started doing some study on how do we fall short of the glory of God First, we fail to give God the glory due to Him in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We all have failed to qualify for, and thereby we are rejecting the glory that God gives faithful servants. We all have failed to properly reflect God's glory by refusing to be conformed to His image. 
Don't be conformed to this world, but being transformed, being made to be more like Christ. We've all failed to obtain, if we don't accept Christ and if we don't follow through on this gift, then we will fail to obtain the final glory that God will bestow on his people at the end of history. That's when we say we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. This, that, those are the things that before we knew Christ, this is what we were, this is what we were doing. We weren't honoring Him in our thoughts and our words and our actions. Therefore, He could not even let His glory and His presence descend on our lives because we didn't want it. That's what we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We didn't reflect His image. But now, but now that we have received Christ, we have been given the opportunity for all of those things to be reversed. We have been given the opportunity where that we can give God the glory that's due to Him in our thoughts and in our words and in our actions. We can qualify and receive the glory that God gives faithful servants because in turn, it simply points back to Him. Because a faithful servant is not going to go, oh, look what God is doing in my life. But instead, a faithful servant is going to say, look what God is doing. It's not about me. It's about look what God is doing. And then we will reflect His glory because we will desire and pursue to be conformed into the image of Christ. And then we're promised then that when we pass from this life that we will receive the reward of eternal life with Christ Jesus in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4 and 15 he says, for it is all for your sake. Paul was talking about how they were being persecuted and people were being, uh, being set on for the faith. And he said, for it's all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. If you want to know why we need to be sharing the gospel, one reason why we need to be sharing, besides the fact that you, you know, people need to receive this great gift that God has given but one of the things that you need to know about why we need to be sharing, because it brings glory to God. Because he said, as, as grace extends to more and more people, as more and more people, as their life gets changed, the things that they've done, the things that they've been entangled with, when God sets them free through what Jesus Christ has done and that grace begins to flow into their life, he says, as it extends to more and more people, it will increase thanksgiving. Why? Because people are going, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. God, I thank you that you've set me free. God, I thank you that you've released me from the penalty of my sin. God, I thank you that though I was once headed for an eternity in hell, God, you have released me from that and you have promised me something that I could not earn. I could not buy. But because of your great gift, and when I read that little passage, it said to the, 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 that Thanksgiving will increase to the glory of God. I, all of a sudden, I imagine that in my heart, I'm joining those angels going, looking at my own wife and going, God, I, 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 I was in a, in a, yes, my family was saved. Yes, God, we were in, in a religious setting, but until I came to know you, 
until I personally prayed to accept Jesus Christ, not through any actions, not through any traditions, not through any rituals that I could complete, but by simply opening up my heart and saying, God, I want to receive this gift, then all of a sudden my own heart swells up with the angels and I sing glory to God in the highest. Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11, he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that you may prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. All right, now that you know the end of the... Of the the, the end of that passage. Let's read it again. Because what you're going to see called out here, he says, is for the glory of God. I want you to do these things so that it will bring glory to God. It's my prayer that your love will abound more and more. I pray that you will love each other. If I could pray something, one of the things I would pray for this church is that we would love each other more and more. That we would abound even more in our love toward each other. Why? Because it brings glory to God. I would pray that we would be filled with knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that we would, you know, sound like we were super intelligent and be able to spout stuff up? No. Because it brings glory to God. I would, I would pray that we would have that knowledge and discernment so that we could approve what is excellent, that we could see the path of purity in our lives that we need to pursue. Why? Because it brings glory to God so that we would be blameless on the day of Christ. I would pray that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And remember, we've talked often about fruit over the last couple of months. It happens through maturity. You don't go plant a seed and tomorrow it pops up. Even if you start to see the tree beginning to grow. Sometimes even, you know, if you really want fruit in a hurry... You've got to go buy a tree that's on up bigger. It's already started maturing, so maybe you can get a few apples on it in a couple years. He says, I, I pray that you're going to show the maturity, the evidence, the fruit of righteousness. You'd be filled with it. Not you'd have a few. Not that if we could see you as a tree planted beside the rivers of still waters <laughs> to get biblical... If we could see you as a tree, if you could see yourself as a tree, then would you be full of fruit? Would you kind of have some fruit? Would you have no fruit? Now, the point of that question is not to go, oh my goodness, I don't think I got much fruit. Well, great, then you have an opportunity. Start right now, start today to begin to produce more fruit. And I would pray that you get filled with the fruit of righteousness, right standing, doing right before God. But you're going to do it because it comes through Christ. And it brings glory and it brings praise to God. Well, what about they said peace? They, they Peace on earth. Now, here's an interesting thing for you. Luke 12, 51, Jesus speaking. He says, do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? Now, wait a minute. <laughs> no, I tell you, but rather division. Hang on. 
if the angels proclaim peace on earth because of Jesus coming, how could Jesus say that he didn't come to bring peace but division? This is the fun stuff in God's Word. You know, you actually read a little bit and, and start comparing stuff. You're going, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Angels proclaim glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. And Jesus said, you think I came to bring peace? No. Came to bring division. One of the angels is saying, you know, this is what we'd all think. We'd think, man, when one of them angels is somewhere going, hey, dude, you pulled out the wrong sheet of music, man. We weren't, that was not what we were supposed to sing. We were, you know. So, well, what was happening? Okay, James 14, 25 through 27. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now hear this. Peace on earth. Why? Jesus ends up, what he's indicating when he says, I didn't bring, come to bring peace, I came to bring division. You know why? Because we saw it. We saw it happen. I told you all last week about a young man who was a Muslim that prayed there in Uganda to receive Christ. This guy comes back up to up to, to Bert and he's standing there talking to him and it was this young man that had prayed and he told me, he says, hey, I'm, I am in a Muslim family. I was raised Muslim. I've prayed to receive Christ. I'm sincere, but I'm afraid because my family is Muslim and I'm afraid of what's going to happen. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but division. Why? Because when you come to Christ and people around you and your family and whatever else are not in Christ, then what God begins to do in your life will create a division. Yes. It'll, it'll, now, it may not, doesn't always play out the same way with all people, but as God begins to change your life and as you begin to say, hey, I can't do that with you anymore. I know that last weekend I went out clubbing with you, but God has changed my life, and I know I don't need to do that, so I can't go with you this weekend. When that begins to happen, there's a division that will begin to occur. See, when God, through Jesus Christ, brought healing for our sin, deliverance from our situation, it creates a division of those who have received and those who have accepted and those who have not. He says, hey, it's going to happen. You're going to find it. Some of the friends you used to have, they don't want to be around you anymore. But you're still going to have to reach people because you can bring the same peace to them that God has brought into your life through Jesus Christ by your word of testimony and the Holy Spirit then doing the work in their lives. And so Jesus looks and he says, hey, yes, there's been a, a separation that's been created, but my peace I'm going to leave with you. My peace... Man, that's powerful. Here's another gift. Here it is, another gift. Jesus is saying, the peace that I have, I'm going to give to you. In other words, they didn't have it. But he said, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to leave it with you when I go. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to lead and he's going to guide you, but I am going to give you a gift before I go. I want you to see something. Let's back up for a second. There's two gifts that happen here. And you get them from two different people. Jesus didn't say, I am sending you the Holy Spirit. He said, 
the Holy Spirit whom my Father will send in my name. So my dad is going to give you a gift after I leave. He says, I, once I depart, I'm going to be gone, but my dad is going to send a gift to you. It's going to show up. It's not coming from me. He's going to send it in my name, though. He's going to say, on behalf of my son, I have sent you this. He says, so my dad's going to send you a gift. But I really don't want you to have to wait until to get a gift until I'm gone and my dad sends you one. So I'm going to give you a gift before I go. You, you know there's going to be this gift that's going to come and you need to tarry until it, until it comes after I'm gone. It's going to happen. But before I go, I'm going to give you something. My peace I'm going to leave with you. My peace I'm going to give to you. I'm not giving to you like the world does. The world tells you that your peace is based in the fact that you've got a big enough bank account. The world tells you that you've got peace because that you've got a job that's stable. The world tells you that you've got enough peace because nothing bad is happening in your life right now. The world tells you that you've got enough peace because you can afford everything and you're not in debt. The world tells you that you have peace because everything is going according to plan. God says, but I'm not giving to you according to that kind of peace. Why? Because all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Because Paul said, I've known what it is to have. I've known what it is to not have. I've known what it is to be full. I've known what it is to be empty. I've known what it is to be hungry. But I've learned that my God will supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. I give you a peace that's different than what the world gives you. As a result, you have a choice. You decide to not let your heart be troubled and to not let your heart be afraid. Why? Because I turn around and I say, God, I feel this coming. I feel it coming at me. But I know that you have not given me the spirit of fear, but you have given me power and love and a sound mind. So I will not let my heart be troubled. I'm not going to let myself be afraid. Why? Because Jesus left his Peace to me. John 16, verse 33. I've said these things to you that in me, this is Jesus, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Yeah, you're in it right now, and you're going to experience some difficulty in it right now. Yes, you're going to experience tribulation. That's what I like about Christianity. We're not trying to sugarcoat anything and tell everybody, oh, come to Jesus and all your problems go away. He says, you're going to experience tribulation in this world. You're going to, it's going to happen, but take heart. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Take heart. Have a big heart. Because I've overcome the world, because I've told you these things, that in me you may have peace. When I find myself starting to not be at peace about something, I find that I need to get with God. Because when I find that I am not being at peace, I have to keep reminding myself, he said, you will have peace in me. In me you will have peace. So when I start getting where I'm not at peace. When I'm at unrest, when I'm, when I'm frustrated, when I'm flustered, then I have to bring myself back and say, God, in, in Christ I am going to find my peace, so I'm going to take heart and I'm not going to be true because in you I find my peace, not in the ways that I would see it in this world. 
Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest sense of peace that we can have is that because we have come to Jesus Christ, because we've been justified by our faith in Him, that we have peace with God Himself. Romans 8 and 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life, and it is peace. When I set my eyes and I set my heart on Him, I find both life and I find peace. Romans 14, 17 through 19 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and is approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. He says, hey, the kingdom of God is not about any of those other things. It's about righteousness, it's about peace, and it's about joining the Holy Spirit. And if you serve God in that way, in righteousness, in peace, and in joining the Holy Spirit, then you are acceptable to God and you're approved by men. So because of that, then let's pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. He says, hey, as a body of believers, then let us look to be at peace with one another and to build each other up. Galatians 5 and 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. What's the next word? Peace. Peace. So it's a fruit. So, so we said a while ago, fruit is a sign of maturity. So don't, you know, don't get all flustered if you walk out of here today and, and you're not immediately at peace about everything and you're going, what on earth? I mean, he just said I need to be at peace. Yes, it's going to develop as a fruit. In fact, there are going to be things that are going to start coming that, that, that when you determine, God, I want to be at peace, peace on earth, I, then there's going to be stuff coming out and you're going to have an opportunity to grow. Wind's going to blow. If you're like that tree, you're going to get stronger and fruit's going to begin to develop and you're going to be at peace. Ephesians 2, 14 through 17, for he himself is our peace. Speaking of Christ. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came, and he preached to you who were far off, peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who are near. Colossians 3, 12 through 15, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Last verse in peace. 2 Peter 1 and 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The last thing that these angels stood up and they proclaimed was that they wanted there to be, that there would be goodwill 
toward men. Goodwill. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose. That word purpose there is the same Greek word that is used when the angels proclaimed good will toward men. They really were saying, and God's purpose be accomplished toward men. He says here, he said, we want to make known, he's going to make known to you the mystery of his will according to his purpose, good will, which he set forth in Christ. He has revealed to us through Christ. And verse 10 there said, as a plan for the fullness of time. Why? To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. God's purpose was already being accomplished in heaven. And he said, through Jesus coming, now his purpose is going to be accomplished toward men. And he will do this. He did it in the fullness of time. Remember the Bible talks about it. says in the fullness of time that he sent forth his son born of a virgin. In the fullness of time. Why? To unite all things in him. To unite them. Things in heaven and things on earth. Romans 2 and 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill, His purpose, His plan. Why? He demonstrated them through His kindness so that we would come to repentance. They were really proclaiming God's purpose is about to be accomplished in the earth because of this little baby Jesus Christ that's been born, His purpose is going to be accomplished. What is His purpose? His purpose is that all men would come to repentance. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Oh, I got, I'm sorry, I got to read that again. I'm just going to read it to you. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And then he raised us up with him. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
He reached down into the vilest, deepest place of sin. Wherever you think you were, maybe wherever you are today, and he reached down and he raised you up with Christ and seat you with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And why will he do that? So that in the coming ages, he could show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Christmas trees, is this is Christmas? No. All that carnage that's left after all the presents are ripped and papers everywhere and boxes are laying all over. And so this is Christmas? No. <laughs> if you've caught yourself maybe this year or in years past saying, well, you know, this just isn't going to be that good of a Christmas because that blank, that next thing that you say, that's what you're saying Christmas is. And you're saying, wait a minute, are you saying, Nathan, that if, that if somebody's passed in my life and they're not here and I'm saying, well, hey, this is going to be tough? God, no, that, that's, that, that's not what I'm saying. But what is Christmas? Yeah, yes, pain and sorrow exist and all these things, but they're not the meaning of Christmas. Maybe you don't have money this year to buy Christmas like you would have in years past or like you would like to do. That's not the meaning of Christmas. Did you realize that even in the church world, it wasn't until the fourth century that the church world, by and large, even started celebrating the birth of Christ. It wasn't even something. You know why? Because they celebrated Easter and the resurrection. Because they said, somebody being born doesn't mean anything necessarily in the grand scheme of things. It's the fact that the penalty was paid, that he died, that he was buried, and that three days later he rose again. That's what they celebrated. It wasn't until the 4th century that they really started, the church started celebrating Christmas. They weren't focused on birth. They were focused on death and resurrection. So, so if, if you're looking at your checkbook and going, I just don't have it this year. So, so this is Christmas to pull out your... If you look and go, well, well, this person has passed out of my life. And man, that does hurt. It's painful. And all that, but, but that's not Christmas. What is Christmas? Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. God's purpose accomplished toward men. And it all came in the form of a gift.
this little gift wrapped up in swaddling clothes. This little gift that would not remain as that. The first and only true gift that keeps on giving. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. So this is Christmas. Let's pray.